I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, here's what you can expect. Every Thursday, and a bunch of Tuesdays coming up, Goop editors will be sitting down with thought leaders who are pushing boundaries in their fields. We'll talk to doctors, creatives, CEOs, and relationship experts. You'll hear me interviewing some of the people I admire most in this world, and you'll also hear a lot from my chief content officer at Goop, Elise Lunin. I love listening to Elise's interviews because she asks the smartest questions and really just listens. Today's guest is the very magnetic Nicole Daydone. She's a longtime proponent and teacher of a practice called orgasmic meditation, which has been called the yoga of sex. It's probably not what you think. Nicole is also the author of Slow Sex, which is a book I often recommend to women who are looking for more desire in their relationships. To me, climax is like sugar. Like it just, it hijacks your hunger for the real thing that you're looking for. And I think we're looking for this deeper state. And so we, we only have this one thing. So we just keep pressing the climax lever. We just keep pressing it. But there's this entirely different world. Nicole sat down with our chief content officer, Elise Lunin, to talk about barriers to intimacy and orgasm and what we can do to strengthen our own sexuality. But before we get to Nicole, let's talk about one of our partners. Dropbox was one of the first platforms that we started using at Goop. We've outgrown a lot of the technologies that we used in the early days of the company, but Dropbox is one that's really stuck. If you haven't used Dropbox for work, it's essentially an online home for everything your team is working on. It's a platform that lets you organize the conversations your team is having about different projects, and it comes with an entire set of tools that helps you cut out all the annoying little distractions and inconvenient logistics that end up being a big time and energy drain. It's not so much about productivity or working harder or faster. It's about making really collaborative, cross-functional work simpler. When everyone on the team can stay in sync, the experience of working together gets a whole lot better. And in my experience, when teams are in the flow of things, individuals are able to do their best, most creative work. To look into Dropbox for your workplace, visit dropbox.com forward slash flow. Now let's get to Elise and Nicole Daydone. So Nicole, let's go back to the beginning. Okay. How did you get into orgasmic meditation? <laughs> and can you define it? I think How we should. I have, it's so funny that my life begins with that moment. But um, so I can define it. What it is, is it's a, it's a basically an attention training practice in the arena of sexuality, which we haven't had. So you, there, there are two times when attention is really strong. One is in sexually charged arenas and the other is when we're in life or death situations. So you can bootstrap the attention and develop this whole other state of consciousness. That's like the big definition. The, the really refined one is um, you're stroking the upper left-hand quadrant of a woman's clitoris, the one o'clock position. And as you grow to master it, um, you stroke it no more firmly than you stroke an eyelid. So that spot where most women are saying, ooh, a little to the left, a little to the right, uh, they're aiming for this spot. It's a bundle of 8,000 nerve endings. Uh, as you stroke it, it begins to open. Over a period of years, it opens fully across the whole of the clitoris and across the whole of the vaginal area. So we're usually trying to 
well, push really hard to get some sensation rather than opening up the body to receive it. So that's what we're doing. So it's actually a physiological shift. It's physiological. We just finished the first uh, partnered stimulation research since Masters and Johnson. Mm. So all of our definition of sexuality has been from the 50s. Which, is, which can tell you something. And so one of the things that they found is there's an actual orgasmic state. There's a state of consciousness that you hit that, that is different from climax and that actually has, you have higher learning capacities, you have lower depression, there's a whole set of things that occur. Can you achieve that state through other means outside of masturbation? It's not masturbation. Oh, it's a partnered practice, which is really, really important because you can't take yourself out of control. Mm. That's one reason that I think it's important. I think another reason that it's really important is if, um, as a woman, the number one question I get is, isn't there some way I can do this without a partner? Mm -hmm. But as a woman, if I actually can train my partner to... be facile with my nervous system in a way that I can't, because I can't tickle myself. I can't um, give myself a good deep massage. And you actually can't bring yourself to this state of consciousness alone. Then it radically shifts relationships, you know, between women and women and men and men, whoever's stroking. And is the idea that this is like you sustain it or is it just like you touch it? Like you achieve it? Beautiful. So what happened for me, you asked, uh, what happened for me was I had this in, in my, my first experience, I had this experience and something, f- I, I wanted to be a Buddhist nun, you mentioned that. And I was accustomed to, you know, I, you can sit and when you sit, all of your n- inner narrative goes away, that mm-hmm. kind of chatter that's judging everything all the time that makes you so exhausted, it begins to drop away. And then all of a sudden there's this feeling of, ah. Oh, well, I felt that in this practice, and what, but I felt it in a way that it, that it locked on. It was so clear. Everything went was silent. All of my normal woman stuff of, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that, or, oh, I wonder if he thinks I look pretty right now, or are we going to get married, or all of that stuff that's usually in my head, gone. There was nothing. It was just everything was open and clear and quiet. It wasn't the big, dramatic, hip-thrusting, mm-hmm. high-heel thing. It was just everything was open and clear. And I thought, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what everyone's looking for in porn shops or in, in you know these all of these places and sexy dancing. And this state of consciousness is what's available. And then over a period of years, just like with Buddhist meditation or in yoga, you know, when you first go to yoga, it's really hard. I've been doing yoga for 20 years. It's really hard. And then all of a sudden it comes to be the easiest place for you to be. You look forward to it because you have freedom. That's what the practice is like. So when you first experienced this, obviously you were partnered. Was it like mixed up with love or is this really just sort of a, like, a practice that is distinct from the person who is doing it for you? That's a really good question. Well, we just finished the science. I'm so grateful that I have the science now because I've been having these questions over the years. And here's what's interesting is they tried long-term partners and they had people who had just met different practitioners. And it doesn't matter. Mm. You can, you can, here's what's super interesting. Both the person who's stroking 
and the person who's being stroked at six minutes begin to sync up brain waves and have the same experience. So you can feel it, a man can feel it in his body. Yes. Wow. Both are having, so it, 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 see that radically changes our idea around sexuality or the erotic and this idea that it's commerce based. Oh, I stroke you. Now you do something for me. We have a shared experience and there's a set of reasons. The protocols are the primary reason, but so we have this shared experience at six minutes and then you, and then both people begin to open into this state of consciousness and where is that physically located on a man? You mentioned guys doing it for guys or like, is there an equivalent of not really? Not so much. The, the most sensitive spot on the human body, man or woman, is the clitoris. Well, it, obviously the clitoris is only in a woman's body, but that is where the most nerve endings are located. Finally, an advantage. Right? I know. <laughs> this is clearly advanced or maybe not maybe it's the simplest practice of them all but i feel like so many for so many women who we hear from orgasm is out of reach or just not something that they can typically achieve why do you think it's important to bridge the gap i'm so happy you asked that question um because i think that uh both sexuality and uh sexual practices have been defined by date to date by men <laughs> so our idea of what uh, orgasm is supposed to look like. It, we don't have an orgasmic state uh, that includes the whole of the body, which is really what happens in a woman's body. So I'm just, there's this funny joke, you can't, uh, a fish can't climb a tree and you can't judge it by the fact that it can't climb a tree. A woman's body orga goes into an orgasm state differently. So what we're trying to do is have this idea of some big splurting, like female ejaculation, where we are trying to have this idea of what it's supposed to be like, and our bodies don't do that. Not only do our bodies not do that, but they don't do that from the way it's being done to us. Mm -hmm. So, so the fact that you need tremendous focus on a woman's body, and the fact that it's a it's a tiny tiny spot that you're looking for, and this big thing doesn't always work, and so we we have it written. Uh, incorrectly. There's a way that, uh, you know, that's part of what I want to do. I think, um, you know, Hugh Hefner wrote a lot of how we look at sexuality in our culture. And I want to do it from a woman's perspective. What actually happens in a woman's body? I think it's a, uh, I think masculine sexuality is a subset of that. So it's not like that's not beautiful and fun and great, it, but there is something deeper that's available for both of us. Have you ever had anyone work with work at one of your clinics or work, be at the land or do undertake this exploration who has been unable to do it? No, never. Isn't that amazing? And not only that, but I've worked with um, transsexual people who have had uh, surgeries and, and we found a way. And it's it's been an amazing experience. And the, the primary reason is that the the real practice is focusing your attention on the most sensational part of the body. It's it's really more about your capacity to focus. See, we look at sexuality as like this thing that's you can kind of discard it and it doesn't really matter, but it actually runs 
pretty much everything we do. We dress for it, we work for it. Everything we do circulates around it, but we don't practice consciousness around it. And I think it's that's actually the, w- what we're headed into. We had yoga, we had meditation, and now orgasm is going to be the thing that fuels us. This deeply feminine world is going to be what fuels us. I know you said that it's like sex is something we discard or it's it's sort of there's a commercial relationship around it. I think there's a tremendous amount of shame and embarrassment mm-hmm. primarily for women right, right. who are who feel uncomfortable about like having pleasure, having attention. Right? Like how do you crack that? I here's the good news. I don't think we have to. People are starving for for a different way. You know, yoga was so weird when I was growing up. My family did yoga and it was so, everyone thought we were the freaky family in the 70s. And now it's just integrated because I think we need it. And I think the time of surviving on deprivation and a green juice and four almonds just isn't doing it anymore. I think there's a way we need to nourish, especially as women, we need to nourish in our way. We need to, you know, the masculine path is about, uh, you know, production and getting things done. But the feminine path is really about this nourishing of the body, not indulgence, but, but nourishing. And I think that's, I think it's as women are rising in power, this will rise as well. The understanding of how important it is. So in your dream scenario, just Mm -hmm. to give a little bit of structure to like, to what this looks like in a, in a, let's just say a typical male, female couple, this is something that you do on the regular. Is it like the preamble? Is it in, in terms of sex? Like, do you do this instead of sex? Do you do this in addition to sex? Does, is sex irrelevant? Uh, uh, sex is, well, sex is very relevant, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, not with respect to this. And it's definitely not uh, foreplay. It's its own practice in the same way you would do yoga or you would do meditation and you would do that to, um, take care of yourself and to nourish your body and to nourish your relationship and nourish your capacity for true intimacy. Not, not like, not the romantic ideal of intimacy, but the capacity to feel each other that you would do it in that way. And you know, when, when I have couples come to me, usually I have them do it for 30 days straight just to begin to tune in in that way and actually be able to sense each other. And then usually often, they pick, they pick the practice up and just take it for themselves. Yeah. Where does one learn how to do this? Like, do you need a, a master? Do you need an instructor? Do you go to a special place? So I, I think there's a lot of ways to do it. I wanted it to be totally accessible at whatever level of comfort you had. So you can go online and you, um, the organization that I founded that I'm no longer with, but support. Um, you can go online and look up orgasmic meditation and there's videos how to do it. Or you can call and I think there are now 1500 coaches and you can talk to a coach or you can Skype with a coach or you, uh, (laughs) there are little, there are annexes in 36 different cities and you can take a course, you can go with your partner, then you go to your room and you have your experience and you can come back and talk about it, any questions you had or difficulties. So there's a whole array of ways to begin to cross the... There are people, I used to know everyone in the world who owned at a certain point, and now there are people who, who say, I read your book and I 
And I learned how to do it in my partner and I've been doing it for years. Um, and does it, living in this sort of awakened orgasmic space or like that, that sort of flowering that you talked about of the nerves opening, like what are the, what does that mean for the rest of your, your day? Well, um, so I work with a lot of women who are tired and wired mm -hmm. and, uh, a lot of women who've, uh, it's almost like, I don't know, their, their minds are dry tinder, you know, it's kind of like they're, they're running on fumes in a certain way and, and they've never actually even had the experience of living from full and the world looks so radically different. It goes from production and work to creativity, you step into a totally different place because your body is nourished. It just has the basic nourishment. In the same way, it's wise to eat when you when you go to work. It's wise to make sure that your your parasympathetic nervous system is taken care of, and that 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 hyper arousal state that we're in, and the um, by the negativity bias that's in our mind, that that's handled. You can handle that in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Your body can be nourished in such a way that you're in a deep, deep state of relaxation. One of the things that they found in this study is that it's more effective than mindfulness from bringing, for bringing the mind down from hyperarousal, so any kind of trauma or PTSD, to uh, curbing depression. The five precursors to mental illness all go down radically when you have this practice, and that's in 20 minutes. So that's what you devote, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And at minute six, you and your partner are in some sort of new space together. You sync up. And and most of us know this place. There's a way that it can sound so woo, trippy, and I work really hard. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the science is so that everything was grounded. But we, we've all been in a movie theater where you feel connected together, where everyone goes, oh, at the same time, or in a yoga studio where everyone in class kind of syncs up. One third of our brain, the limbic brain, is dedicated to feeling into the feeling states of other human beings. This practice is just so focused that you can tap into that. So it's like applied empathy. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Like extreme empathy. Exactly. And for me, you know, in a much bigger picture, one of the reasons I wanted to be a Buddhist nun was I had glimpsed what the world would be like if we all felt our connection. You know, we all know we're connected, but if you don't feel it, it's easy to forget it. But once you feel it, you can't forget that. And so that, when I when I had this practice and I felt the connection. I thought we could all have that. This could be a route to that. And does this change, like once you have a fully developed practice, does it change the way that you experience more typical sex? Changes the way you experience everything. So I uh, didn't have intercourse. I'm a crazy practitioner. So I didn't have intercourse for 18 months. I just did the practice. I wanted to learn it inside and out, uh, you know, and so I did. And the, the experience, um, of having sex after that, it, it was different by orders of magnitude. Mark Twain says, uh, the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. It's like, that's what it was like. Um, cause I'm so, I was accustomed, you know, I'm, I was tight. I was a tight woman and everything down there was tight. It was tight, 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 tight. And so you kind of had to go very hard and suddenly to have everything be just full and saturated that barely anything needed to happen in order to get 
these really dramatic results in my body. Hmm. And do you think that that's why sort of the spectrum of women and orgasm is so vast? Why some women seem able to like just turn it on so quickly while others find it inaccessible just because just the, that attunement is so important and so specific and, um, easily sort of like, as you said, tight, 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 like wired and tired, all those things that, that that's why so many women find it so difficult, whereas others don't, or is it all a lie? Well, I think, um, I think there's a couple things. I think, um, one is, I actually think the woman who gets turned on in some ways uh, is in more danger, and I'll tell you why. So there's there's the, the woman who's tight, 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 and uh, there's no way the body cannot uh, go into an orgasmic state and have the vigilance center up at the same time. So that hyper-aroused state that we can get into, that stress state, it actually... It, it, prevents any kind of orgasmic state. It prevents any kind of relaxation. It prevents the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's that. And then there are those women, um, you know, I know this is me. So as a woman, I was trained to turn on when I wanted a relationship. And then, so then I had a driver. I had something that had it be that it was worth turning on or, you know, drink a glass of wine or whatever it is. And, and then that would override any of my, my vigilance center. Mm. And so, but, th- but that's why I think you also see decreasing sexuality, diminishing returns in relationship. We know how to turn it on when we want that thing, but we don't know how to do it for our own nourishment and pleasure. And that's the part I want to shift. I want it to be really clear that this is an integral part of your of your wellness program in the same way, you know, I, uh, I, I date and I'll date these guys and I'll say, oh, I, I've just come from yoga. And they'll say, oh yeah, I should do yoga. All of us know we should do yoga. We all know that there's some way or, or something of that nature, something meditative. We know that we'll feel better if we do it. it I, I, I believe that this needs to be cast in that light as opposed to any kind of indulgence or something seedy or, you know, I wanted it to be a clean, well-lighted place to explore and open this, this aspect of wellness. Seems like a reality show, The Dating Life with Nicole. <laughs> Dating. I would, do people know, like, are you dating people from, like, the orgasmic meditation community, yeah. or do these gentlemen have no idea? <laughs> Sometimes they do. You know, it's funny. I, um, I, I'm super transparent about what I do, and I, I have, you know, I date even on um, online, and I'll say, when you see what I do, you'll either run for the hills or you'll fall in love. And, you know, it's, it's a lot to have for sure <laughs> must be so intimidating it can be or or to the right guy it, it's it's a relief it, you know another this i don't i don't know i'll just tell you my entire life story here but uh, you know for also um you know younger guys are um, dating older women more often. There's a great book called The Richer Sex and she was saying now that we're 51% management things are going to change we'll be dating younger guys. There'll be a whole set of things. But so I often say, why are you interested in an older woman? And they'll say, she knows what she wants. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a part that women have no idea about how deeply, deeply men want to know what we want. They'll say, no, he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. You don't understand. And I'll turn to him. You know, if I'm in a session, I'll turn to him and I'll say, oh, 
you you aren't interested? And he'll say, no, no, you don't understand. I'm dying to know. I got to know. I got to know. And she'll say, see, he doesn't want to know. And we have it so ingrained in our minds that they're not interested, and it's just not true. We'll have more of Elise's conversation with Nicole Daydon in a minute. When I sat down to write my new cookbook, The Clean Plate, the first rule was that everything had to taste really good. The second was that every recipe had to comply with the fundamentals of clean eating. I wanted the recipes to work on days when you're craving a healthy filling lunch or planning a dinner for a friend with a food sensitivity. And because I love to cook and I love to eat, I wanted to have fun with it all. I never want food to feel like a punishment or a chore. This cookbook is different for me because in addition to the recipes, I included six Q&As with cutting-edge functional doctors and nutrition experts. Each one focuses on their area of expertise, from metabolism to heart health, and they all come with a tailored week-long cleanse. I hope you get a chance to try out some of the recipes in the clean plate. You can pre-order it now from your favorite bookseller, and it comes out on January 8th, which is right in time for my own annual reset. In some of my previous jobs, I had to work across different teams and departments, but nothing totally prepared me for how cross-functionally we work at Goop. All of our different teams, from merch to brand partnerships to content to tech, have pretty different objectives and workflows. None of our teams can get by working in a silo, though. Just doesn't work. The train only seems to stay on the tracks when we're all talking to each other and able to quickly and effectively share ideas, tasks, timelines, and creative designs. And to stay in lockstep with each other, we need some help. Dropbox is one platform that we rely on a lot. Dropbox is an online home for your workplace and everything your teams are working on. It lets you organize conversations and workflows for a lot of different projects all at once in a way that feels seamless. Dropbox comes loaded with a set of tools that helps you cut out the everyday office distractions and logistics that always end up taking more time than you'd like. It's a way of minimizing the typical obstacles and keeping the office in flow so that people can do what they showed up to do, their best work. To get your team on Dropbox, check out dropbox.com forward slash flow. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Nicole Daydon. When couples come to you, is it who typically is leading? Is it the woman who's reaching out or the man? This is funny. It's the woman through the man. Okay. Break so, that down. So so he'll make the call and he'll you know, he'll do the due diligence that everything and then and then he'll say she found your book or she found you online or something of that nature. She sends him in as the warrior in case, you know, we're all crazy. Amazing. So what's the difference? Okay. Going back to this 20 minutes, is the climax important or is that whatever? It's so whatever. It's, it's a, I, I just did a lecture and I, it was all these scientists, these guys and, um, and they, they were just asking about the climax. And I said, a climax is a one for me on a scale of one to 10 at this point, the places that you can go. It's, it's like, uh, when, when it, when a, when dynamite goes off on land, it's a big deal, but when it goes off deeply submerged in the ocean, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's enjoyable, but it's actually a blip in a really unbelievably deep state. Mm. So interesting. I also think that for women, 
too, there's so much pressure on that as like the climax that it, it becomes this weird focus or finish line or like a goal, which and, isn't great in our culture, which is already so goal oriented. Right. And it, and it hijacks the deeper thing. I, I, like to me, climax is like sugar. Like it just, it hijacks your hunger for the real thing that you're looking for. Mm. And I think we're looking for this deeper state. And so we, we only have this one thing. So we just keep pressing the climax lever. We just keep pressing it. But there's this entirely different world. Uh, there's a great thing. Um, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi wrote a book called Flow. And he was looking at artists. And he, uh, he wanted to know what was in that canvas. What was it that was so interesting that they were willing to forego everything we know pleasure to be? They were willing to not bathe. They were willing to, you know, not have money because they love that canvas. And I, that was my question. What is it that people are willing to, you know, because sex, as we've known, it has been really risky. And we just assume, oh, there's a, a human flaw. We haven't looked for what the thing that people keep going through the risk of affairs or watching porn or what are they looking for behind that? And it's my deep seated belief that we're looking for this orgasmic state. We're looking for the state of consciousness. Because once you hit it, unbelievable things become possible. It's, it's, it's the difference. It's almost like wearing 3D glasses and you're looking at the world through love as opposed to fear. We all know that feeling after you have a great makeout, you know, and you, and like, you don't like the way your partner eats soup usually, and you're kind of look at them and, but you, you know, you've had a great makeout. It's like, Oh, I love how they eat soup. Says <laughs> <laughs> so the person who's dating. <laughs> I love that idea, that that meditative state. So what are the other pernicious myths about sex and erotic energy? Like what, what else are you trying to debunk? Maybe I would say number one, like I said, um, so much of our sexuality has been defined by men. So it's been defined by how it looks. And what's so interesting is uh, to make sex look good, it doesn't feel good. And so there's this, uh, we, we, we focus on the heels and the toys and the, uh, it, it's like we, we keep dressing it up until we can't feel it anymore. And that, that's why I called the book Slow Sex. I love this idea of undressing it mm-hmm. and, and then showcasing the way it actually feels. There's a way, uh, you know, there's no, nothing more beautiful than a woman, you know, who's lit up with nothing. She's not pumping or grinding. She, she begins to radiate something that's entirely different, but we're so covered up and we're banging so hard that we don't get to see that woman. So I think that's the most important thing is for feeling to take precedence over how things appear. I think the second would be for women, I would say that your partner being tuned into you is actually possible. I talked to so many women who've given up on this idea that that he could ever know, how, or she uh, could ever know how to handle my body better than I can. And I can say from years of experience, I remember the first time I was with somebody who could who had stroked for many, many years. And I had the thought, oh, I wish he would move to the left. And he, even before I, I, I wish he would move to the, 
and he had already moved there, that there is this kind of connection available. And so I think I would want to give hope. I know that it's possible. And I, and I see so many women give up on that and then give up on the opening of this power. And that would be the most important thing. I think um, we tend to fall on sexuality or spirituality. And there's a marriage in between, and that would be the erotic. And inside of that erotic world is an entirely, it's, it's where you elevate things to art so it's we take it and it goes from being you know barnum and bailey which is kind of what sex is to cirque du soleil and it there's there's this way that it can be artful and beautiful in such a way that you become more beautiful in the process Mm, i love that and i think i i feel like any practice feels overwhelming to people right it's what like what you were saying in your tender dating days of like oh, I know I need to do yoga, but I don't, et cetera. Like how do you, and and 30 days feels attainable, but probably hard. Obviously you want people to cement the practice, but is it a quantity thing or more of a quality thing? Is this like do this once a week if that's all that you have time for? Or do you feel like you, you got to do it more? It's funny. You know, I've learned to, um, to be more open-minded. <laughs> But, but I really, I want, I want people to have a chance to make it in the same way. I, you know, when I first started yoga, they said, come every day and that's 90 minutes. This is 20 minutes to totally shift your consciousness in such a way that you're, you're more clear, you're more functioning, you're happier, you have more empathy, you like your kids more. So it's not like, it's not like it's a really long, arduous practice. You're getting your clitoris stroked. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, even if you aren't at the full master level, you feel better. You just feel better every time. And I guess you just do that instead of meditation, right? So you can strike one thing off your list (laughs) and add add something else. So how do you, when you think about this conversation, obviously we've been primarily talking about women, how does it directly apply to men besides, I guess, the power that there's their voicing of wanting to be able to do that for someone that they love, you know, that like, please tell me what to do for you. This is so good. Um, because I think this is another myth. I think there's a place that we look at the world, um, that he's doing it for her. Once a man makes it, you know, we all have a gap, right? So once I make it through the gap of meditation where the voices are louder rather than quieter, right? And I actually can find peace there. He's not doing it for himself. He's not doing it for her. He's doing it for himself. He's doing it for that brainwave shift that he feels in his own body. He's feeling it for developing attention in a totally different way. Men have, think about it. Where do men learn how to feel? There's, there's no place for a man to come to sense another human being. We've trained, we've trained men out of feeling they're not supposed to cry. They're not supposed to feel anything. And so it's a way to begin to tune in and feel. It's also a way, which is really important, I think, for men, because as a woman, I was trained to exaggerate. You know, I was trained like, oh, you kind of touch me a little bit and, oh, ah, right? And so I actually <laughs> train you to do it incorrectly. And and so it's a way because the signifiers are so incontrovertible of what's happening in her body. It's, it's visual. You can see it. You can feel it for yourself. You can feel the flutter of contractions. It's, it's a really, really clear. 
then he can he doesn't have to rely on what she says or what she does. He can feel for himself what's happening in her body. Interesting. True power and control. Yeah. Well, true power. Yeah. By by relinquishing a certain kind of control. Interesting. Where do you coach women to begin if they're feeling like deeply conflict like if this whole conversation is making them sit in their car and sort of squirm like how do you get people to a place of feeling like they can do this you know it depends on the person most often um i like i'll be honest most often i go through some back and forth for a little while and then i say you want to do it right because just giving somebody the opportunity to admit that they want to and to admit and to, my job i think for many years has been creating a context where it's acceptable to do what you know you should do we all know we should take care of our erotic selves we we know it you know there are movies like how stella got her groove back we know that when this is switched on the whole of our lives turn on everything changes it's just crossing that threshold and the threshold as we were talking about before is shame we feel we feel ashamed that we have a body because it's been put in this masculine context but we can take that back you know i think i think uh women's path is definitely around being in our bodies. Mm. I know it's important. It's, I feel like it feels complicated, but maybe it's that simple. It's just taking it back. Yeah. I mean, I say, I'll just, I'm willing to play the role of permission for you, you know, cause we have, to, it takes so much for us to give ourselves permission to, to take care of ourselves. I know. I thought, and that's obviously a com- like the whole self-care conversation is big now, but I think it's easy to understand how this extends to that. I think that's what it boils down to is just this notion, like, you're worth it. Thanks so much for joining our conversation with Nicole Daydone today. For more from Nicole, head to goop.com slash the podcast and get her book, Slow Sex. You can also find her at The Land, a retreat space in Northern California. Check it out at the-land.us. Now it's Ask Me Anything time. What is something that you always travel with or bring on a plane? Oh, Charlotte, it's a long list. I bring a lot of water and I bring a lot of lipospheric vitamin C and I bring colloidal silver, which I spray around my seat, which is supposedly keeps germs away. I have no idea. And I bring little lavender wipes because I read, I think in the New York Observer, that an airplane tray is the dirtiest, it's dirtier than the bathroom. So as you'll see, a lot of these center around my germophobia. I also make sure I bring headphones so I can catch up on all my podcasts. Have a question? Drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for this episode of the Goop Podcast. If you have a chance, please rate, review, and let us know what you think. To keep up with new episodes, just hit subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends. For more info, check out goop.com slash the podcast. See you soon.